all tied in here. Hey, I tell you what, uh, Will Ferrell has a issue with patience, uh, with waiting, uh, it would seem. Uh, nothing gets you in the Christmas spirit like a clip uh, like that, but we're glad that you're here and uh, welcome. He's not the only one, uh, I'm guessing, that has a problem with patience, with ultimately with waiting. All of us have been in that situation. Have anybody ever been there where there's somebody in the front of the line and maybe they've been in that line for 10 minutes and then when they get to the counter, then they start to think about what they want. Has anybody ever been uh, in that situation? Right? So he's not the only one that struggles with waiting. I mean, when's the last time that you heard anybody say that they actually enjoy waiting? Like hardly ever, never. Uh, we've all been in those spots. How many of you at the grocery store purposely as you're pulling up, you know, with your cart, how many of you purposely look for the line with less carts in it? Everybody, we've all kind of done that. How many of you have hopped midstream, like gone to the other aisle as a moving, yeah, we've all done that, right? Absolutely. How, how about you're at a stoplight and the car in front of you just doesn't go and every part of you wants to do what? Just lay on the horn, right? Because it's going to save you two seconds of your precious life, right? How about this one? When no matter what kind of computer you use, the little spinny thing, right? That's the stinking, right? Like processing or the download thing that's like, eh, it's, it's not moving, right? We hate to wait. We don't like to wait. And the worst part of it is we live in a world, we live in a culture that's not exactly conditioning us to wait well. We live in a culture that is feeding us the idea that you should not have to wait. You should have whatever you want and have it your way when you want it. Email on our cell phones, music and movies on demand, high-speed internet, fast food. Are you sensing a theme here? We are not taught to wait well. It's not the world that we live in. And in the midst of whatever that was, and in the midst of that culture that we live in, comes Advent. A season of waiting. A season that teaches us to purposely slow down and Wait, this season, these four weeks of Advent leading up to Christmas, this season that we're in is essentially an invitation to wait. Advent is actually comes from the Latin root of the word there is adventus. Everybody say adventus. Adventus, now you know a little bit of Latin. Now you're smart. Uh, adventus literally means coming or arrival. And not just any coming or arrival. We know that uh, years before Jesus came, waiting for the birth of Christ was much longer than four weeks. It was much longer than a stoplight. It was literally centuries of longing and patience and prayer by God's people. And that story of the Old Testament, which Amanda took us through last week, essentially three-fourths of your Bible is a story of God's people waiting. The story of Christianity, the story of the Bible of God's people is one of waiting and hoping and Longing, and that's why Advent is so powerful because it connects us, connects us with the larger story of God's people. We are a people of waiting, and in that sense, it could not. Advent could be not more relevant to the life that we're living because every single one of us will spend most of our days in waiting. If you think about it, all of us have a, a here, a place that's here where we are today in our current situation and our current set of circumstances, and yet all of us have a there in our lives as well, a place where we want to be, a, a, an ideal situation, something we're hoping and waiting and longing for today. And in the middle, there is a land between. There is a not yet. Most of life is lived in the not yet, in the waiting of life between where we are and where we want to be. And in that sense, Advent is like real life. 
it's so important that we learn the lost art of anticipation. It's in waiting that we discover hope and the need for trust. And I wonder as we start this morning, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Not just maybe the Christmas presents that are under the tree. We can't do that at our house. They will go out on December 24th because if they go out before then, they will get destroyed by our small children. We can't do that, so we can't teach. Uh, They are learning waiting uh, in that sense, but chances are, I'm guessing you're waiting for something a little bit deeper, something a little bit more, I don't know, important, life-changing. I know for some of you, you are in the middle of a nine-month waiting game. And I know this because of all the babies that have been born the last few months. I know this because in January, we are going to have a baptism extravaganza festival here at Hope Des Moines because of all these little bundles of joy that have been born. And some of you are at the beginning of that, some of you are the middle, and some of you are at the end, and you are ready to be done uh, with that waiting game. Some of you are there, but, you know, that's fun probably to wait for. A lot of you are waiting for healing. Some of you are waiting for a diagnosis. Some of you are waiting to see that lost relative that you haven't seen in a long time or to be reconciled with them. Some of you are waiting for a different job. Some of you are waiting for a job at all. Some of you, like quite a few at our last service with our outreach ministry that we do, most of them are waiting for any paycheck or a paycheck at all so that they can pay their bills this week. Maybe you're in that boat as well. Maybe, maybe you're waiting for your marriage to get that spark back that it had at first that you long for. For some of you, you're just waiting for companionship, for that special someone. Some of you are waiting to find Christian community again. You're waiting to get that connection, that intimacy back with God that you used to have, maybe at the beginning of your walk with God. Maybe you're simply waiting for those desires to get met. And, and whether those are met today or not, because we're here and because there's a there and all those longings are, aren't met, I believe that today, if we would not just skip ahead to Christmas, but can we just stay in Advent for a couple weeks here? And I believe that if we'll slow down, we'll discover some very important things in our waiting. We'll discover a God not of instant gratification, but we will discover a God of faithfulness, which I believe we'll discover is way, way better. And nobody knows that truth better than our friend Zechariah. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 1, and that's where we're going to dig in to God's Word today. Luke chapter 1, again, if you don't have one, grab one from uh, the back and take that with you as our gift to you today. But we're going to start in uh, the book of Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 5. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the third of the four Gospels, going to be about three-fourths of the way through your Bible there. The the chapter number is the big number, and the smaller numbers are the verse number. So if you're new to the Bible, we want you to hop along with us. And we discover the story of a man named Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. So here's Zachariah. Friends probably called him Zach or... um, Z-Money, I guess, or something like that. But here he is, Zechariah here in Luke chapter 1, and we discover that he is a very elderly man, as is his wife, Elizabeth. And it's in this story that we discover the theme of, get this, waiting. It is a story of waiting. It is a true Advent story. And in this story, as we walk through it, I believe that I want to unpack three key truths that we discover that you can only learn in waiting, That we don't discover and getting everything we want when we want it, but we discover these things as we wait. And so we pick up the story in verse 5, a little bit before our reading for today. It says, in the time of Herod, you've heard of Herod, you know about Herod because you know about 
Jesus, right? He gets to be famous because Jesus was famous. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. Everybody say Abijah. It doesn't mean anything. It's just fun to say. Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, so they're both from a priestly lineage. And so both of them, it says, verse 6, were, get this, righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So talk about lives lived in the not yet. (laughs) Talk about a life of waiting. Their entire lives have been spent waiting, longing to have a child, but they were unable. And yet, right in the middle of it, we discover something else about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and it's our first key this morning is number one, waiting on God is not passive. Waiting on God is not passivity, it's actually active pursuit of God. We think of waiting as like, I'm just going to kind of sit back and kick on my heels and wait for God to do his thing to me, when actually in scripture, waiting is a very active thing. Look again at verse 6. Did Zechariah and Elizabeth become bitter at God because of this setback in their lives? No, it says that they were righteous in the sight of God. They were observing all of his commands. In other words, they went after the heart of God. They were wholeheartedly pursuing God in their waiting. And because of this, they discovered something about the land in between. When you're waiting for something, there's two directions you can go. When you're waiting on God, you can either grow angry and bitter, which drives you away from God, or you can develop trust in the faithfulness of God, and that trust will always draw you closer to the heart of God. And when I think about the characters of Zechariah and Elizabeth, I cannot help but think of this passage in the Psalms. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 37, 4. And as you look at that on the screen, we read this passage. Some of you have heard this before, and it is one of the verses that Christians love to use as some sort of cheap answer to why you don't have what you want. This is the verse that gets thrown around to tell people, this is why you haven't got your desires met yet. Let's read it together nice and loud. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so if I'm Zachariah or Elizabeth, or I'm me, or if I'm you, and I read that verse, I think, oh, really? It's that easy? So uh, take delight in God. Well, God, I'm just going to try a little bit harder to delight in you. I'm going to worship every single week. I'm going to be a good little Christian boy, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray every day, and I'm going to bring my kids to Sunday school, and I'm going to be as good of a person as I can, and then God will bless me. And we get that skewed thinking, and the problem with that is it's not true, number one. And number two, whenever we take a verse out of context in Scripture, we get it all messed up, and we lose the original meaning. But that's the lie that we live with. And instead, what I want to do is look at Psalm 37, look at the verse before, and look at the verse after, and get a little bit of context. So let's read this now all together. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently him. So do you see what's before getting everything you want from God? (laughs) Cultivating faithfulness. Do you see what's right after getting everything you think you want from God? It's that thing we all love to do. Waiting. 
resting in him, seemingly passive things, and yet that's what we're called to do. And in this passage, we discover maybe God isn't the vending machine that we thought he was. Maybe God isn't the one that if we put in good deeds, we get blessings. We talked about this in our series on Job. It's not biblical to say that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people because it doesn't happen that way, this side of heaven, does it? And so we know that that's not true, so there's got to be something more to it than that. God is not a vending machine, nor this time of year, it's important to remember, God is not Santa Claus. Two different things. God's not interested if you're naughty or nice. He's interested if you're his, if your heart is fully his, if you're transformed. And if anybody proves that God is not a vending machine, that we can't just put something in and get whatever we want out, it's Zechariah. If anybody has a case, he did everything right. He became this godly man, and you would think, I'm a, God, I've done this my whole life. I'm an old man. And what do I get in return? A wife that can't have kids. Really, God? Why are you holding out on me? And so this is his life, and yet as we look at Psalm 37 and we look at the heart of God, what does God say in our waiting? Instead of navel-gazing at ourselves day after day or falling into that deadly trap of comparison, This whole passage is actually about cultivating faithfulness by dwelling in the land, by putting our roots down. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word cultivating, I think of like agriculture, I think of soil, I think of turning over the ground, of churning it up, of making it fertile soil so that when God comes along, that the fertile soil of your heart is ready for God to plant whatever he wants to plant there. So cultivating, instead instead of... uh, placing my hope and my joy solely on the next job or the next relationship or the next stage of life to satisfy me, Psalm 37 says dwell. And that means put your roots down. That means wherever, whatever season of life that you're in right now, be all there. Pour into your little corner of the world like you're going to be there for the next 10 years. Cultivate righteousness. Spend your waiting being active and passionately pursuing God, becoming a man or woman of integrity, of character, with the fertile soil of the heart, living life with grace and humility, doing the little things well. Why? Not to get something from God, that I've been a good Christian, but to give something to God because he's worthy of a life of worship regardless of what we get in return. Amen? That's worship. It's not about you getting what you need every Sunday morning. It's about what God getting what he deserves, regardless of what's going on in our lives. So dwell, cultivate this relationship. Get busy living, which you'll notice Psalm 37 doesn't say suck it up. God doesn't say get over yourself. God doesn't say quit desiring. God doesn't say kill your heart. God says actually the opposite, cultivate faithfulness. Keep your heart wide open to the wildness and the mystery of God because you never know what he's going to do. And this is exactly what we see Zachariah and Elizabeth doing. They get busy in their waiting, cultivating faithfulness. Get this, they don't let unfulfilled expectations get in the way of pursuing God now. They don't let the unfulfilled expectations of their particular season of life get in the way or become an excuse for pursuing God now. And I don't know about you, but I've fallen into that trap all the time. Well, I'm in junior high. Well, I'm in high school. Well, I'm in college. Well, I'm a batch. I'm a bachelor. You know, well, I just got married. Well, we have young kids. Well, and you go on and on and on, and all of a sudden you wake up and go, so when exactly is an ideal time to take God seriously? 
because you're going to miss it. And every day it says Zechariah served the Lord faithfully as the temple priest. Not a glamorous calling, but a holy one because God had called him to it. This reminds me of another lady that's up in years, that's in the later stages of her life. Her name is Ludmilla. And if anybody is cultivating faithfulness in completely unideal circumstances, it's her. And so especially for those of you that would consider yourself in the back half of your life or nearing retirement or after retirement, if you have ever thought to yourself, I'm done living a significant life for God, think again and be inspired by Ludmilla's story. Let's take a look. After 40 years of communism here, the fact that many believers left the country, the Czech Republic has been called the most atheist place in Europe. It breaks my heart. My name is Ludmila Hararova. I'm 82 years old. I have seven grandchildren and five great-grandchildren. My husband went to heaven in 2002. The Lord Jesus told me, now he is my husband, and he wants to continue to use me. He wants me to be his representative, his ambassador. Next to the door of my house, there is a bronze sign that says, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven. My home is an extension of Christ's kingdom. It's a place where people can come and look for help if they're in trouble or have a need. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven is joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. That is the atmosphere I want here at the embassy. Today, a dear friend came by. She's a widow, and her family really are struggling financially. Whenever people enter this house, I just lay everything else aside and spend time with them. I have learned to recognize the inner voice of the Holy Spirit and give him room to use me. The Holy Spirit likes to take control. It's an honor for me to be an instrument of God's love and his wisdom every day. We often don't realize that all believers are called to be representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We are all ambassadors. The Lord Jesus didn't choose to do it any other way. He simply entrusted us. I don't know about you, but when I look at that story of Ludmilla, I cannot help but think, how many excuses have I made <laughs> for saying, not now, God? <laughs> Can this wait a little bit? I'm really busy right now. I got a lot of stuff on my plate. I got a lot of things in my calendar. I mean, if anybody has an excuse to say, not now, God, it's her. 
She's been through two communist regimes. She lives in the most atheist country around. Everybody in the country is disowning and running away from God. She's 82 years old. She's lost her husband. She lives alone. It would be so easy for her to say, God, I think I'm done making an impact for the kingdom. And yet she's powerfully advancing the kingdom by doing what? By being herself, by cultivating faithfulness. She didn't give up on God, and neither did Zechariah, and he's so glad that he didn't. Because at this point in Zechariah's life, he's thinking, you know, maybe my significance is over as well. Maybe God's going to use somebody else for his grand story, but it's not going to be me. But thank God he stayed open and available and cultivated a heart of faithfulness because God was about to rock his world. As a part of Zechariah's duties as a temple priest is that they would basically roll the dice or flip a coin or something and then decide who was going to then burn the incense at the altar of the Lord as a fragrant offering to God. And so he gets chosen this one day, but it's not a random thing to God. God knows exactly what's going to happen. And there in the middle of his ordinary calling, God shows up in a powerful way and changes his life forever. Let's take a look. So you can imagine the whole range of emotions that Zachariah is feeling right now. Probably some fear, probably some, uh, some joy, some excitement, some trepidation, all of that. For most of his life, he has been praying this prayer along with his wife, Elizabeth, you can imagine this after all those years, the, all those nights, which some of you know this feeling all too well, of being all alone on your knees, in your room, in the darkness of the night, crying out, wondering, God, where are you? Why aren't you coming through? Zachariah had to say, I'm so tired of watching everybody else have kids. I'm so tired of us being the grandparents that watch everybody else's kids, and we don't have, any, we don't have kids, let alone grandkids, to pour our lives into, to, to keep our story going and Yet, here in this moment, God shows up, and through the angel, Gabriel says to Zechariah and says to you this morning, I have never left you. I love what he says right away. I have heard every single one of your prayers, even when it seemed silent. I never stopped listening. I never left you. And yet, here's Zechariah coming to grasp with it. He's going to have this, not just any son, but a son named John, who we know as John the Baptist. Pick it up in verse 16. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God. Verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. I'm sure there was many moments in Zechariah's life where he thought, you know, my significance is coming to an end here. I don't have any offspring. I don't have a son. This is where my story ends. Ends. I'm sure that he thought, you know, I had dreams of making an impact for God. I had dreams of living a significant life, but, well, I'm just sort of ordinary. And I'm guessing some of you have maybe felt that same way, thinking, that's it. Not because of this limitation. For, for them, the limitation was not being able to have kids. And for some of you, that is the reality that you're living in this morning. And so this story hits very close to home. It's very real. But for some of you, your limitation is different. For some of you, it's like that mistake that you made long ago that continues to haunt you and come back. For some of you, that limitation is that broken relationship that has left you alone. It's that job right now that's not any close to what you want it to be. 
Chances are you can think of somebody in your life that you know that is saying, I don't want anything to do with church, and I don't want anything to do with Jesus, because what would he want to do with me? I'm done. I'm used up. I'm junk. Well, let me tell you that God doesn't make junk. Because what does that say about him? You are made in his image, and your days of significance are long but over. And so to Zechariah and to us now, Gabriel proclaims from the mouth of God, Zechariah, and to you this morning, your waiting is not in vain. Your waiting, the waiting period that you're in right now in your life, is not in vain. Why? Because God never wastes a moment. God doesn't waste years. There are no wasted months with God. There are no wasted weeks. There are no wasted days with God because he was in it. He's never left you even when he seemed silent. The story does not end. Your limitations and your mistakes do not define you. God defines you. His significance defines you. God says, I will define you because you are a son or daughter of the Most High King. And here in our waiting, if we'll press into God, we'll discover the second truth is that in our waiting, it allows us to discover the bigger plan, the bigger picture of God. God is creating a painting, a masterpiece of your life, but it's on the canvas of the universe. And so often we get a very limited view of God and we forget how big he is. We forget that it is God who determines whether we have lived a significant life or not. Reminds me of a story that one of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, tells. I want to read a bit of it to you just so I get it straight. If some of you may know what a water bearer Looks like this was something that when in places and still today where they don't have running water, there's somebody that would have something similar to that where they would go to the stream and with these buckets on either end of a pole, they would take water from there to the, the master's house or wherever. And he tells the story of a water bearer in India who had two large pots on either side and each hung on opposite ends of a pole. And one of the pots was perfect. It didn't have any cracks. One of the pots on the other side had a large crack in it. And so Every day, the water bearer would take these two pots and fill them up to the brim. But then by the time that they got all the way to the master's house, the, the pot that didn't have any cracks delivered the full load, but the one with the crack always felt like a failure because it kept leaking the whole way and only was able to do half of what it was created to do. And so after the second year of doing this and perceived bitter failure, the, if you can imagine with me, the unhappy pot spoke to the water bearer. And the, the cracked pot said, I am ashamed of myself. I want to apologize to you, the pot said. Well, why, asked the water bearer. What are you ashamed of? I have only been able these past two years to deliver half of my load because this crack in my side continues to leak out water all the way back to your master's house. And because of my flaws, you have to do all this work and you don't get any value from your efforts. Well, the water bearer felt sorry for the cracked Pot, and in his compassion, the water bearer said, as we walk back to the stream, I want you to notice on one side of the road all the flowers that are there. Well, this seemed to cheer up the crack pot a little bit as they walked back, but again, it continued to apologize to the water bearer for its failure. And the bearer spoke up to the cracked pot and said, did you notice that there was only flowers, wild flowers, beautiful flowers, only growing on one side of the path? 
And that is because I have known about your flaws since the day I created you. I have known about your weaknesses and I have taken full advantage of them, the water bearer said, because on your side of the path, I chose to plant beautiful wildflowers. And every day as we have walked back and forth from the stream to my master's house, you have watered them. For two years, I have been able to pick these beautiful flowers and decorate my master's table without you being just the way you are, he would not have this beauty to grace his house. Without you trusting that your life has significance even in your limitations and your brokenness, God would not have been able to do what he did. At the end of the day, you've got to know that our significance will never be defined by how rich or powerful we are, by our titles or our positions, nor will it be defined by our limitations or setbacks. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, your significance will only be defined and only matters by your ability to trust in the story that God is writing through your life, not somebody else's. In your ability to trust that you are the only you we have. What we learn from the cracked pot, what we learn from Zachariah's story, is that in our waiting... God's silence does not equal his inactivity. God's silence does not equal his inactivity. Now, as we pause there before you think, oh, I'm sure after this encounter that Zechariah had, I'm sure that everything just changed and he encountered the angel and he understood his weaknesses and his limitations and he says, oh, now I'm going to be a good follower of you, God. Now because you've given me what I want, I'll fully trust you and I promise I'll be at church every week and I'll bring my kids to the temple, Hope Kids, and, and all that and I'll never miss a Sunday and I promise I'll be a good Christian. I have told you before that the Bible is not a book of people who are flawless. The Bible is a book of people just like us who don't always trust. And you'll notice that in his response to the angel Gabriel, he says, how can I be sure of this? I mean, we're not exactly childbearing age here, okay? Most of our friends are grandparents. They're not having kids. So how can this be? To which the angel responds, you will be mute for the next nine months until the day this baby is born. And some of you are thinking like, gee whiz, God, gee whiz, angel Gabriel, like that's a bit harsh. You have a bad day? Like, my word, that's quite the punishment there. Dig a little bit deeper. It's not so much Zechariah doubting. If you dig into it a little bit, a better translation is a little bit something closer to Zechariah saying, I can never be made to believe this. In our, in our words, this is never going to happen. There's a difference, yay for the Hope Kids, there's a difference between doubt and disbelief. Doubt says, I'm struggling with it, I'm working through it, just as some of you are with this whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing right now, but I do believe that it could be true, and I'm, I'm on that journey. Disbelief says, there's no way this can be true, and I've closed my heart to that. The angel, God knew something was up in Zachariah's heart that needed to be cultivated, that needed to be shifted, and so God makes him mute for nine months. Why? Scripture doesn't say exactly, but maybe the lengths that God will go to to earn our trust. Maybe a powerful reminder to Zechariah and to us that in our disbelief, that our disbelief of God, our inability to understand what God is doing in our lives doesn't change the fact that he knows exactly what he's doing. 
the sun is going to come up tomorrow morning whether you believe the sun is real or not, right? Someday you are going to get to the front of the line at Starbucks even though it seems like an eternity, right? The cracked pot was making a difference and God was using him even though he didn't realize it until the very end, whether he trusted it or not. And so this part of the story ends in a little bit of tension, in a little bit of waiting. They're going to have this baby, but for Zechariah, it's going to be nine months of silence. And here we discover this third truth about waiting, that waiting forces us to slow down. And when we slow down, we listen. And when we listen, we get to hear the heart of God. And so here's Zechariah. If for nine months you can't talk, you can't argue, you can't even boast about what God is doing through you. I'm going to be the dad of John the Baptist. <laughs> and maybe God did that for a reason. Just so there was zero chance that he would take credit for any of it. And maybe that's why God wants us to listen more and speak less so that he gets the credit and that everybody knows that the change that's happened in our lives has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. So he's forced to listen all the time. And maybe that's what Advent is about anyway. Less noise and more silence. Less clutter in your life and more space. Less talking and more listening. You see, Zechariah wasn't the only character in the Bible that learned the power of silence. It's interesting, this connection with Elijah that was spoke of in the temple. Elijah was a prophet that lived long before Zechariah, but there's this short little story that I want to close with today from 1 Kings 19, where Elijah is a prophet, and he is, uh, he's fed up with God. He's done being a prophet and, and doing his calling, and he's run out into this cave in the middle of nowhere, because everybody knows that God can't find you in the middle of nowhere, Right? And yet there he is. And in that moment when he's worn out, tired out, burned out, disgusted with God, God comes to him and says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for I'm about to pass by. And so just think with me for a second. If, if God was going to show up in your life, if God was going to show up here in Des Moines, Iowa, I'm thinking maybe like a giant blimp. or I mean, he's God, right? Maybe a blimp over Ingersoll Avenue as you're driving home today or over the, the interstate, you know, maybe a big giant sign, a billboard on the side of the road that says your name. This is God. You know, I want to talk to you today. Maybe some lights lit up to form some sort of sign on the, on the side of 801 Grand or something, right? A giant blizzard or a snowstorm or a hurricane or something that God would get your attention and yet he doesn't show up that way to Elijah. The story goes that first Elijah hears this giant wind come up. You think, oh, this has got to be God, right? So a giant wind comes up. But God wasn't in the wind. You would think. But God wasn't in the wind. And so the next, I want to get the order right here. Then a giant earthquake comes to Elijah there in the cave. A giant earthquake. Like, like what is it? I don't know. Earthquake. Crack. Crack. Wind. Earthquake. Crack. But God wasn't in the earthquake either. 
And then like, oh, geez, Elijah thinks, okay, now here comes this giant fire. I mean, God's got to be in the, he's this big God, he's got to be in the fire, right? But God wasn't in the fire either. And then the most amazing thing happens in verse 12. It says, after the fire came, get this, a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper, or as scholars agree, I love this, the best translation for all you Simon Garfunkel fans, the sound of silence. That God was literally found in the sound of silence. You ever wonder, God wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants to be close to us. And when you see two people that love each other, like hanging out in the movie theater on a date, are they on opposite ends of the room going, hey, I love you over there. It's really fun to have this date with you. I love you too. We should do this more often. Now they're they're close. Because when you're close, then you whisper. And when you whisper, it forces the other person to lean in, to hear your heartbeat. And maybe that's why God showed up as an infant. Because with infants, you hold them close and you hear their heartbeat so that we could hear the heart of God for us. And maybe that's what he wants for you more than anything else this Advent season. Take a cue from Elijah, take a cue from Zechariah, and learn to wait so that you can hear from God. Maybe Advent for you means less getting and more giving, to discover the joy of getting, that you get so much more out of it even than the people that are receiving those gifts. Let's have that tree be clean. Learn to give, learn the joy of giving and blessing other people. Maybe Advent for you means with your family making weekly worship a priority and that you could learn to listen as a family. That you and your spouse could challenge each other and say, we're gonna learn to be still and silent and listen to God together and share with each other what we're hearing. Maybe for you it's reinvigorating your prayer life and learning to listen to the heartbeat of God. Whatever it is that you're waiting for these days, wherever you are, in the not yet and in the land between of life. You can trust that God is always going to show up for you, no matter what's going on in your life. And how do we know that? Because he already has. 2,000 years ago, in a feeding trough, in a manger, so that you could know him and never doubt, God always comes through. Let's stand and prepare our hearts for communion.